For the past uh, several Sundays, uh, we have been working through uh, the topic of discipleship. This morning, we're going to conclude that particular study. This sermon series uh, began several weeks ago focusing upon the first prong of our vision statement, which is to connect with God. You might remember when I first moved here, we we also focused upon uh, connecting with God. And let me go ahead and and put up to remind us uh, what that portion of our vision is designed to emphasize. We will continually seek a deeper connection with God through sincere worship and spiritual disciplines. We will reach out and make disciples that do the same. So in Sermon 1, we focused on the Great Commission where Jesus commissioned his original disciples to make disciples. And we emphasized in that first lesson, now that torch has been passed down from from generation to generation over 2,000 years. And as God's people today, we are called to make disciples. But then we we made made the point that, that in order to make disciples, we must be a disciple. And so for the past seven lessons, I guess, or six lessons... We've really talked about what it means to be a disciple. And we've we focused upon this subject of discipleship. I went back and, and reread uh, all of the notes from those particular uh, sermons. And as, as you uh, are beginning to, to learn or remember about me, I'm a list guy. I like numbers. And... So I want to begin this morning by what what I believe to be the top ten points from the previous six sermons about connecting with God through discipleship. And and really not in any particular order other than the order in which uh, I preach these sermons. Number one, a disciple, by definition, is a learner, a pupil, a student, or an apprentice. Number two, a disciple develops a relationship with his teacher and learns not only by listening, but also by acting and doing. Number three, the teacher becomes the point of unity among his disciples. It becomes their desire to preserve his teachings and fulfill his goals. And so, of course, Jesus is our point of unity as his disciples uh, today. Number four, the word in the New Testament which best describes what it means to be a disciple is follow. Number five, when Jesus says, follow me, he is calling for a personal commitment. Number six, the radical call of Jesus lies in his claim to to priority over the best not the worst of human relationships and endeavors. Number seven, disciples linger in the word, love one another, and live productive, fruit-bearing lives. Number eight, the greatest challenge of discipleship is to carry our cross. 
Number nine, our hands must be free in order to carry that cross. And then number 10, we are to carry our cross 24-7. So there is kind of a quick summary, you might say, of some of the key points that we have been discussing throughout this series. And so this morning, to conclude, I want to do uh, three things. I want to mention six myths about discipleship, six truths about discipleship, and then go to one, I, I think, one of our all-time favorite stories uh, from uh, the life and ministry of Jesus, an encounter he had uh, with an individual. And we've typically looked at this story from the perspective of Jesus and maybe have used this story to emphasize who Jesus is and to maybe even challenge us to be uh, more evangelistic. But I want to look at that story from the perspective of the individual that Jesus had the encounter with. So we'll get uh, to that at the conclusion of, of this lesson. So, six myths about discipleship. Myth number one, that it's just automatic that the minute we come up out of the baptistry, we've just arrived, and here we are, the perfect Christian, if you will, and we'll never make a mistake. There is nothing else to learn. We've, we've made this initial decision, this initial uh, commitment, and so this thing that we've been talking about called discipleship, it, it, it just happens, all right? Myth number two, that it's mystical, philosophical, and theoretical. I worked hard on that one, all right? Mystical, philosophical, or theoretical. Uh, I really like that philosophical part. You know, where you, where you get together with some other Christians and you just kind of sit around and talk about something, and there's a lot of good discussion, but there's never any practical application. Well, we sometimes treat discipleship like that. It's something uh, to theorize about. It's something to philosophize about. It's, it's something to discuss and discuss and discuss, but we never make it practical. Number three, uh, discipleship can occur instantly if you find the right key. Right. You know, we live, we live in a world, we live in a culture uh, that, that some people call the, the, the microwave, microwave culture. You know, do you just turn it over to 10 seconds, you push a button, and boom, there you have it. You know, we fast food and fast this and fast that, and, and sometimes we treat discipleship uh, like that. If we can just find the right key, we can do it very quickly. I, I know I've been guilty of, of this, uh, in the past when it comes to church growth. You know, someone uh, has success in reaching a lot of people, they offer a seminar, they write a book, here's the silver bullet. And I've learned that that doesn't exist. <laughs> it, it doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen when we are a disciple of Jesus. Number four, that discipleship is measured by what you know. Now, we just made the point, in fact, 
point one uh, in our review that by definition, a disciple is a learner, a student, okay? And so there certainly is knowledge involved. There are some things to learn about God, about Jesus, about the church, and, and, and other important things. But it's not just about knowledge. Right? Again, we're, we're kind of back to, to number two. There, there are some practical things. Um, that's why I really like the word apprentice. Uh, apprentice at least suggests to me that not only are, are you learning uh, knowledge or facts, but, but you're hands-on, you're doing some things, you're working. Right? Discipleship, being a follower of Jesus is like that. Myth number five, that it's a private and personal matter. Right? We sometimes talk about Jesus being our, our personal Savior, and, and I, I understand that. Okay? But when it comes to, to growing and maturing, right? uh, unity of believers, prong two, we're in this together. Discipleship is designed to be a very communal thing. And even when we talk about spiritual disciplines, whether it's Bible study or Bible reading or prayer or fasting, simplicity, any, any spiritual discipline that you want to emphasize, right? in my experience, um, I've always been more productive when I've involved someone with me in the pursuit of developing those disciplines. And then finally, myth number six, all you need is Bible study to grow. Bible study is important. We must not neglect that. But again, there's more involved to developing and maturing as a disciple of Jesus than just knowledge or Bible study. Well, if those are six myths, let me give kind of the parallel, you might say. Here is the truth about discipleship. Right. Number one, it is intentional. Okay. This isn't the first time I've used the word intentional in this series of lessons. Right. To be intentional is to be deliberate. It's to do something on purpose. Right. And so if the myth is discipleship is just automatic, it, it, it just kind of occurs, no, it takes some effort on our part. Right? We deliberately, we are determined to become more like Jesus. Number two, it is very practical. Yeah, it's practical. Uh, as we seek to apply what we've learned in our lives, it's, it's to make a difference. But now I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. All right? And, and so when we think about learning about Jesus and we think about in, uh, enhancing our knowledge of God's Word, it has to be applicable. Right? And that's the amazing thing about God's Word from, as one of my instructors at Sunset used to say, from Genesis to the maps. Right? Um, how relevant the Word of God remains and how practical it is for our lives. Number three... It's a lifelong process. Right? It, it doesn't happen just automatically. Or it doesn't just happen. There's no uh, silver bullet, uh, as, as I mentioned. 
It's, it's a process. It's, it's a growth. We're continuing to grow. As, as I was reflecting upon this point uh, in preparation of this lesson, I couldn't help but think about what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. You know, he's kind of recounting his, his life. And in Philippians 3, he says, you know, I'm not there yet. I, I haven't arrived. I, I keep pressing on. He, he, he lays behind the things that have happened. He's learned from them. It's, it's a part of his growth process, but he keeps on pressing. He keeps on growing. He keeps on looking for ways to learn. I, I'm sure we've all had individuals in our lives that, that perhaps have been older. And, and I don't know how many mentors I've had who will tell me to this day they are still learning. They are still growing. They are still seeking to become more Christ-like. And so it's a process, right? And it's designed, I think, to be kind of fun, right? Growing older is not always a lot of fun, but it's challenging, right? And discipleship is like that. It's this lifelong process, a lifelong uh, commitment. Number four, it's demonstrated more by behavior than beliefs. Yes, discipleship is receiving information, but that information, again, as a pupil, as a learner, as a student, must translate into transformation. And so the end result of discipleship is not just knowledge, but obedience. It is not just learning about Jesus, but also living like Jesus. And when you think about it from that perspective, we always have growth to occur. We always have a maturing process as we look at Jesus as our example. Number five, relationships are needed. You might go back to lesson two in this series, when we took the word mathetes, the word translated disciple, and we looked at how it was used in in the first century. And one of the points we made, disciples uh, had a couple of things that were very important to them. One, carrying on the tradition of their teacher, but also the importance of being communally attached And we've already made the point that Jesus is our point of unity. We are in this together. And while certainly there are some things that we must do uh, as individuals, things that we must do privately, we are here for each other to encourage and grow and mature, uh, challenge each other as this process continues. And so relationships are needed. And then finally, it takes a variety of experiences. You know, one of the things uh, that, that I enjoyed about finding that box, right? Sure, there were, there were pictures and there were notes. But those pictures and those notes took me back to experiences and people. 
and the impact those experiences and those people had on my life as, as I was trying to, to, to grow and, and mature. And originally in that context, trying to help some younger people uh, grow and, and mature. And so the experiences that we share together and the stories that we can tell uh, designed to build faith and to build encouragement as we seek to become the disciples that Jesus would have us uh, to be. Six myths, six truths about discipleship. All right, let's go to Luke 19. Luke 19. We have learned this story from our very earliest age at VBS. And the cool song we used to sing about Zacchaeus being that wee little man. And in the past, as I mentioned earlier, I I have always read this story, taught this story, even preached this story, more from the perspective of Jesus. The fact, uh, as we'll see here in just a minute, he he gives the reason why he came into this earth. And I'd never really reflected on... Uh, from from the viewpoint of of Zacchaeus. And as I was reading this story a week or so ago through my my daily Bible reading, I thought, wait a minute, this this is a discipleship story. This might be a good way to end this this series. So turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Let me quickly read uh, the story of Jesus and uh, Zacchaeus. And I, I guess we could say not only is this lesson... Uh, being concluded with the letter D. The whole series, Greg, is going to be concluded by the letter D. All right, but let's read the text first. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost." Four things that Zacchaeus does in response to this encounter with Jesus. Four things that that I believe every disciple must work through in order to follow Jesus. Number one, there must be a desire. Okay, Look look at verse 3 again. The NIV says he wanted to see who Jesus was. All right? uh, the, the, the tense of the verb suggests this has been something that, 
that Zacchaeus had been wanting to do for some time. All right? Hence the desire. He probably had heard about Jesus. Had probably heard about the miracles. Had probably heard about the crowd that Jesus had been attracting. Uh, by this time, he is towards the end of his public ministry. And yet Zacchaeus had never had that opportunity to in, in, encounter Jesus, but there was this desire, right? He had heard about Jesus. And, and for many of us, the process of discipleship began. Maybe being raised in a Christian home where we began to hear about Jesus. Or if we weren't in that life circumstance. At, at, at some point, somebody shared something or we learned something about Jesus. And this, there's this desire to see Jesus, to learn more about Jesus. Right. Number two, that leads to determination. Right. Determination. The text tells us, as we used to sing, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. He was short in stature. In this big crowd that has gathered along the road as Jesus is entering into Zacchaeus, uh, into Jericho, Zacchaeus cannot see over. And yet he, because of that desire, there is this determination. Right? And so he, he, he kind of just throws all dignity away. Right? Most likely wearing some kind of, of a robe, and he just scurries up a tree. Think about a time in your life when, when you've just said, I don't care what anybody thinks, I'm going to do this. All right. I think I've told this story before one Christmas in Tulsa. Power Rangers was the big deal. Luke wanted a red Power Ranger. There was one left at Toys R Us in Tulsa, and I literally beat a young mother back to the back of the store where this one was. Didn't care what she thought or anybody else. Right? I kind of feel bad about that now. But I sure made my son happy. Okay? That's, that's Zacchaeus here. Right? He's not well liked anyway. He's a tax collector. And, and the system, the Roman system, uh, afforded tax collectors every opportunity to be corrupt and to take advantage of people. And, and whether Zacchaeus had ever taken advantage of anyone or not, again, he's a tax collector. Right? He's the IRS. Okay? And, and so there's this determination uh, of, of overcoming right, to see Jesus. Then there is a decision. Right? Jesus sees him, and he said, Hey, get down out of the tree. I'm coming to your house. Now, is Zacchaeus going to do that? Right. Well, he, well, he does. And so he makes this decision to, to meet Jesus. Right. Makes this, this decision to, to carry on dialogue, to encounter the one that, that he has heard about, uh, the one that he has longed to see, uh, just, just to kind of get a glimpse of it. Here he is, uh, inviting himself to Zacchaeus' home, and so this decision to let Jesus into his home, to let Jesus into his life. And then the story concludes with this encounter making a difference upon the life of Zacchaeus. 
makes that commitment to be a man of integrity, to be a man uh, of, of honesty in, in, in the profession. Again, being an outcast. I mean, he was, he was a Jew, his fellow Jews. He collaborated with the Romans, the enemy. Right? And he was a part of this system that was very easy to take advantage of people. And this difference then that it makes in Zacchaeus' life. So at the conclusion of, of this series, all right, there are two questions, two questions we each have to ask. Number one is, have you decided to follow Jesus? Remember, that's, that's the, the primary word, the word that best describes what it means to be a disciple, to follow Jesus. To always have him in front to always be looking at him. And as we, as we learned throughout this series, right, Jesus was a little different than the typical uh, Greek philosopher or Jewish rabbi uh, who had students come to him. Jesus actually goes looking for disciples. And he calls each one of us to follow him. And so have we made that decision? Have we attached ourselves to the master teacher? Are, are we follow, following him this, this life of obedience? Have we confessed him as the Lord of our life? Have we been immersed into his name? Have we pledged our allegiance and loyalty to follow Jesus? But then number two, if we've decided, okay... How has our life changed as a result of that decision? How's it changed? If there hasn't been change, then I think we need to be honest with ourselves. Am I really following? Am I seeking to be obedient? So there may be someone here this morning who needs to make that initial decision to follow Jesus. Or there may be someone here this morning that has made that decision, but for whatever reason, Jesus is no longer front and center. Jesus is no longer the focus. We're here to support each other, to encourage the baptistry, I think. Jared, is it warm? It's warm. All right. If not, we can go to Hidden Lake. That'd be cool. Plenty of water out there. Right? Or if you just need some encouragement this morning. Right? You're surrounded by a group of people who will love you and encourage you and support you in every way possible. Please come while we stand and sing.